You got some place I can eat around here? There's a diner about 30 miles up the highway. Is there any law against me getting something here? Yeah, me. Why are you pushing me? What did you say? So why are you pushing me? I haven't done anything to you. First of all, you don't ask the questions around here. I do. You understand? Secondly, we don't want guys like you in this town. Drifters. First thing you know, we got a whole bunch of guys like you in this town. That's why. Besides, you wouldn't like it here. This is... It's a quiet little town. In fact, you might say it's boring. But that's the way we like it. And I get paid to keep it that way. Boring. Welcome to The Rear View. This is our chance to take a glance back into film history as we as filmmakers drive forward into the future of cinema and television. Each podcast, we interview a filmmaker and discuss a film that influenced them or one they simply can't talk about or refer to enough, whether good or bad. My name is Matt Edwards, and in this reel, I speak with development executive Gregory Vieser to discuss a 1982 film directed by Ted Kocheff, starring Sylvester Stallone, Brian Dennehy, and Richard Crenna, and based on the book of the same name by David Burrell. That film is First Blood. Now, First Blood's Bond three sequels and is more commonly referred to as the Rambo movies. Greg, welcome to The Rear View. Uh, please give us a brief synopsis of the, what the film is all about, and then we'll make our way through this mine shaft. Cool. Thank you very much. Glad to be here, Matt. Uh, excited. Um, First Blood is the story of John Rambo, before he was just Rambo, uh, a, a semi-recently returned Vietnam vet, homeless drifter roaming the countryside, and he's kind of looking for his last living uh, friend from, from, from back in Nam, and it's, it's his mission and when he finds his house, he discovers that he died. And he died from uh, cancer, from Agent Orange, from Vietnam, essentially making him a victim. Of, uh, and that kind of breaks, that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. That sort of is his last connection to humanity. And unfortunately, at the same time that this happens, he's arrested and bullied by a local sheriff. And, you know, that just sets the fuse of his anger, his resentment explodes, and it's uh, visualized by literally having a lot of things explode in the woods and in town <laughs> as he sort of wreaks havoc and he has to get through, you know, this. Uh, and then we go from there. We find out what happens to Rambo from there. Yeah, back when explosions were real on camera. Nothing digital, <laughs> no digital stuntman replacement. I mean, the physical aspects of this movie are great and the danger they went through and when he does, when Rambo does escape after the abuse at the hands of the sheriffs and the deputies, he's on this dirt bike, and the sh- and the streets are slick naturally, oh, just because right. it's shot up in Washington or British Columbia or something, and you can see the the dirt bike fishtailing, and you're you're cringing because yeah. you, you know it's not what they were planning. They're just trying to keep <laughs> on the road, and then at one point, uh, a f- chasing police car actually skids off the road, and it was unplanned, and they just kept it. Oh, wow. And so wow. it's actually a real visceral film as opposed to now where nothing actually yeah. you know, happened. It's all a green screen. Yeah. So when, uh, when you said this is the film that you wanted to, to bring in to discuss, I was excited because I, I had seen this film uh, many times when I was a little kid. Um, not too small, but when I was younger. And I hadn't seen it in probably 20 years, maybe more, 25. And, um, and, uh, and I know we'll, we'll talk about it, but it, it kind of when you think back about Rambo... Uh, you don't think of this movie. You think of, of the other ones, which are um, have their own uh, 
reputation. So uh, going back and visiting this film and, and discussing it as a template um, is what you kind of like wanted to discuss about this film. So yeah, take it away. What is it about uh, the well, first when Rambo? You, when you mentioned a film to pick, my mind instantly went to Die Hard. It's my favorite movie of all time, and I, I can talk about it for hours. And I've talked to enough very smart people that I could steal from to in case I ran out of things to talk about. So <laughs> I would have come off as a genius if we were talking about uh, Die Hard. Right. Um, but rereading your email, I think you said something about one that's been overlooked or you know, an underdog. And clearly Die Hard has not been overlooked. Yeah. Um, not that it's overrated, but it, it, it's constantly you know, in the minds of people as a classic. So I, I kind of thought, what's a, the opposite of Rambo? Or what's the opposite of, of John McClane? What's the opposite of Die Hard? And that's Rambo because... First Blood has really been forgotten about, and it's not a perfect movie by any means, but it's, like you said, Rambo 2 and 3 and 4 have washed, o- washed away any respectability. This is a completely different movie than those mm-hmm. sequels. And uh, I, I'm the opposite of you. I never saw the movie as a kid. I actually read the book. Oh, wow. I haven't read the book. <laughs> in high school. <laughs> and then and I saw Rambo 2 first, and then Rambo 3, and eventually I, I saw this as an adult, so I don't have like an adolescent connection oh, to it. And it's one of these great, uh, from back in the 80s when they used to make action movies for adults. Uh, you know, Witness is another mm-hmm. one of these. Runaway Train is this great adult, grown-up action movie that doesn't feature kids and teenagers and Transformers and all this stuff. Um, so it, it's a great template to use because it's, it's uh, forgotten, it's underrated, it's very simple and clean so we can talk about it without being distracted by a lot of subplots and extraneous things there's just the, the the man on the run and the man chasing him and and that's it and, and it's very simple and very well done for the time and it's if there's writers out there if there's anyone out there in the industry it's a very good lesson to look back on on this template because many 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 successful and many unsuccessful movies have come from the rambo template whether it's taken or john wick where it's this mm. not quite human the superhuman who's just brought to his breaking point cracks and then leaves a path of destruction in his wake and and we can talk about how it's been um, applied successfully and how it's not been applied successfully and why and then um, Die Hard is interesting because it's quite the opposite John McClane and Rambo are totally opposite characters and for better or for worse you Mm -hmm. know sometimes a John Rambo is the appropriate character to put in a certain situation and sometimes you want a human being who actually has to obey the laws of physics, which is John McClane in Die Hard 1. You can make the argument that by the time we get to Die Hard 9, John McClane has become a superhuman who can jump from jets and nuclear right. reactors and stuff <laughs> like that. But in, in, in this conversation, I'm going to stick to the part ones, the real ones. Yeah, uh, in Die Hard um, was almost an answer to Rambo yeah. and Schwarzenegger and, and, a lot, and a lot of those expendable <laughs> type characters. Um, but uh, So yeah, so in terms of uh, being a template for the you know, the breaking point of a character that has, you know, almost superhuman human abilities. Uh, they're not superhuman in this film. In, in, in the first, this first blood, uh, they are, they're heightened, you know, based upon his Green Beret training. Um, but what, what is it about this I th- structure? I th- well, I, I, I do think that he's not, um, not a human. I don't want to say superhuman, like he's a superhero, but he's a he's a green beret who's so that's code for he has these abilities that normal people don't, mm-hmm. um, opposed to John McClane who's just a cop he's just a detective he he can get shot he's balding all this stuff Rambo is what we now he'd now be a Navy SEAL he'd be a SEAL Team Six guy you know right. like the three shows coming out this 
uh, on the fall TV season. So I do think that his Green Beret is code for special abilities that we have no access to as a civilian watching the movie, as a, as a regular mortal. And he's also got this weight of this, what we now call PTSD on him as well. So Rambo's the other. We don't ever identify him. He's sort of this creature. And when he snaps, he does all these sort of predatory animal things. He hunts mm -hmm. the humans in the woods and he sets traps for them. And we never really identify with him on that level. We identify with him a, as a victim and a person who's forgotten about by society. But, but just as the, the, the setup, this Rambo is a creature that the cops don't know how to deal with, the civilians in the town don't know how to deal with, uh, whereas John McClane is the opposite. He's an everyman. He's our next-door neighbor. John Rambo's not our next-door neighbor. John Rambo's the weirdo who lives up in the woods who collects guns. Mm -hmm. So just setting up what kind of human we're dealing with is part of what makes it interesting because you're either one or the other, but this movie makes a strong commitment to, to discovering the one kernel thing with Rambo that we can identify with, which comes at the very end with his sort of monologue. Yeah, and he's, he's, he, he's for the audience, he's defined by Brian, by, by yes. the sheriff, by Brian Dennehy. You know, you're a drifter. Look at that flag on your thing and what you're wearing, your shaggy hair. Go get it. Go take a shower. Like, they're really setting, it, setting him up to be, at least in their eyes, you know, the undesirable. And uh, we, we're, as the film progresses, it, we slowly unpeel back the layers to understand why, why he's that way. It's not to say that he isn't that, but why he's that way. Well, to go to the fundamentals and why I think this is a good choice, it's interesting to compare John Rambo in the two conversations he has before everything goes off, which is to his buddies, I should have looked up the name, his buddy's widow or mother or sister, mm -hmm. it's unclear who she is, and then Brian Dennehy, because he's two totally different people. In the first one, he's smiling. He's sort of, you can tell he's, uh, the weight of the world is on him, but he's actually smiling. He's enthusiastic. He asks, where is he? Uh, we were buddies. We were in the same unit together. He pulls out the photo, mm -hmm. and Rambo lovingly goes through the names of each of the guys in his yeah, Green yeah. Beret unit, which we later find out all of them are dead. Yeah. But he still has this, because he's talking about the war, and because he's talking potentially to a relative of his best friend, he has a life to him, and he has a glow to him, and he's verbose and feels human. Uh, then we find out that guy's dead. That breaks something in Rambo. And the next scene we see him talking to someone is, is Brian Dennehy, and Rambo is a completely different person. He's, he's broken, he's withdrawn, he's dark. Part of it is because his friend's dead, but part of it's because he's talking to an outsider, a civilian, an other, uh, a guy who wasn't there in Nam. Even though he was a vet, even though he's in Korea, that doesn't count as far as Rambo goes. And weird to... You can define a character by how other characters interact and treat him, whether they're mythologizing that character, whether they bring certain things to and from him. It happens later when Rambo treats Troutman much differently than he treats Brian Dennehy, mm -hmm. even though they're both positions of authority and both trying to find him. Because he respects and loves Troutman and has a family connection to him, he opens up a lot more. So it's a good, that's a good lesson in you don't have to define your main character by that character giving monologues and speeches and exposition you define him by other, how other characters treat him, talk to him, and, and make him react. It's, a, it's very simple and clean, and it's established in five minutes. This movie doesn't mess around. Mm -hmm. Within five minutes, you've got his buddy's dead, Rambo's cracked, Rambo's driven off. It's very, very efficient with it, and it doesn't clutter it with a lot of useless shoe leather and exposition and blah, blah, blah that we tend to do nowadays. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's one line that I noticed, and it was in the clip in the opening, where he says uh, to Brian Denny, I haven't done anything to you. And I thought it was interesting that whether it was in this, you know, that was written in the script that 
that Rambo says, I haven't done anything to you. Like, why are you treating me this way? Why are you pushing me around? I haven't done anything to you. And by saying to me, I was like, by saying the, by saying you, he's making his, this personal relationship with the sheriff. Like, I haven't done anything to you. Like, why are you treating me this way? Rather than just simply saying, I haven't done anything. I was walking through town looking for something to eat. You know, uh, he, he really is a, a personal being and he takes his personal relationships res- um, respectfully. You know, he respects those, those relationships. And so it's, it's a, it's, to a fault because <laughs> yeah and he has a code he, could, he turns around and comes back across that bridge yeah he had principle yeah out of principle he has a principles and a code which is another good thing to have in a character you know, yeah he could have killed these soldiers multiple or sheriffs yeah. and deputies multiple yeah. times he reminds them of that fact after, after <laughs> you're he only alive cuts their hamstring yeah. um the one guy who only one person dies in this movie i mean that's the clearest way to separate it from all the other rambos is one soldier dies and that's his own fault because he undoes his seatbelt. And gets cocky when chasing Rambo when he shouldn't be. Everyone else lives, and Rambo spares him. And his anger and violence is not about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a code where he's not going to kill innocent civilians. Uh, he's he's got to kill something else. Whatever he's got to be killed can't be killed because he's chasing these these painful memories. So Rambo sticks to that code, and and that's evident from the first encounter with uh, Teasel that he's not going to. Um, bow down to him he's not gonna sort of uh be a victim but he's also not gonna kill someone who is smaller than him yeah yeah so when uh so you know in in the conversation of of uh you know filmmakers today writers directors looking back at this film in terms of structure what are some of the highlights that you think uh, are, are big takeaways? Um, there's a lot of tricks that I've learned in my career. I come from you know working development uh, for a company called Warp Film, where uh, the producer Lucas Foster has been making hit action movies for decades, and he in turn uh, made hit movies for Simpson Bruckheimer, going back to the 80s and even the 70s. So that's the lineage of kind of elevated genre action-adventure movies that come from. Just to be clear, we're not, we're not dipping from the well of merchant ivory wisdom. Um, <laughs> right. And uh, Rambo is an elevated genre movie, and, sure. and so is a lot of the movies that you can reference in John Wick is an elevated action movie, and Man on Fire is an elevated uh, action movie, and, and that's kind of the, where I'm coming from here. So a lot of these are old-school terms that aren't used enough nowadays because they're um, just you know, lost to a generation who makes movies that try to be like video games. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is this, uh, is the pregnant moment of the film, which is why is this film happening? Why, why did these characters gather here today to do something? Why couldn't this movie have started one day later, one month earlier in the narrative of their world? And a lot of movies lack that, that specificity, the, whether it's a mission or whether it's a tragic event that starts things rolling. Uh, and it, it needs to be a character-based pregnant moment, not a plot-based character moment. And the character-based pregnant moment in this movie is that the last remaining vestigial string tying John Rambo to humanity is broken. Uh, it's, it's his buddy from Vietnam, the last guy he has any human connection to, he discovers, dies, and it's the same day that he gets pushed beyond his limits. So this movie couldn't have started the previous month when Rambo hits the road and hitchhikes because that's not when he was broken. Couldn't have started any later because if we'd have met Rambo when everyone was gone, we wouldn't have been around for this, you know, the wheels starting to turn. 
And so when you look at a movie that you're writing or you're critiquing or you're working on, finding and identifying, one, that there is a pregnant moment, and two, getting to it at the appropriate moment, which is usually as soon as possible, but, it, but at least being aware of it. That's a, a real simple thing to do, but it's amazing how often it's overlooked. And this movie is instantaneously, like you mm-hmm. could, the credits are still rolling by the time you've established this. And then after you have a pregnant moment, uh, there's what's known as a vapor lock. And this is also a really good thing to look for it in your favorite movie, look for it in the movie that you're writing, the, the screenplay that you've stopped writing at page 32. Um, because a lot of bad movies just simply lack it, which is why are these characters locked together? Why can't the characters in the movie simply say, hey, I'm going home, this is boring now, right? Um, you need that dramatic tension sucking these characters together until the, the drama plays out, until the obstacles are overcome, until they go through the tunnel and come out the other side. And a great way to really simplify this is the haunted house movie bunch of teenagers in a haunted house and they keep getting picked off one by one why don't they just go home go home you know it's a haunted house you've seen the ghost you've seen the guy in the in the basement just go home like why don't you do that and if the answer is i don't know then there's not an effective vapor lock and you don't have drama and tension if there is a vapor lock it's because you know the little brother has been kidnapped or they have a magical talisman in the basement they have to get, otherwise all their parents will die, or something like that. Then there's a reason, well, I guess they can't go home. In Die Hard, he can't leave because he's literally trapped in the building. Now, that's a plot-based vapor lock, and you need that, um, but you also need a character or an emotionally-based vapor lock, and that is John has to reconcile with his wife, and it's sort of visually explained by rescuing him from the terrorist, but it's... uh, I don't want to talk too much about subtext and all the fun stuff because we're talking about action movies and explosions. But <laughs> he has to repair the marriage with his wife. His, you know, they're in the middle of divorcing. They love each other clearly, but they also get into each other's nerves clearly. John's a hothead, and he's got to make it up to his wife and, and get back together. So that's the vapor lock. Under no circumstances can John McClane leave the building until he fixes the problem of his marriage and the terrorists at large. So... In Rambo, the vapor lock is that like he's snapped emotionally, and in doing so, he assaulted a bunch of sheriffs, and he's off in the woods. So Rambo can't go home. Not only can Rambo not go home because he's being chased by sheriff and the National Guard and all these people, but also he, he hasn't figured out what he's going to do. Is he going to become a psycho? Is he going to murder people all day long? Is he going to go be homeless and work at a car wash? Or is he going to get through it? Uh, you know, and it's symbolized in the movie by he's going through a cave. Like, he's reliving Vietnam, essentially. He's become the Viet Cong, and he's re-raging the war until he gets it right. And that's the emotional vapor lock, why Rambo can't go home, and, and why Troutman can't go home, because his pride has been threatened, his authority has been threatened. Until he snuffs out Rambo, he has no identity. The townspeople, hey, Sheriff, hey, Sheriff. If he lets a homeless drifter take him apart, mm-hmm. well, then he has no identity either. So... So that's why Brian Dennehy can't go home, and that's why Rambo can't go home. It's extremely simple. It's very clear. It's not too sophisticated, but it's very effective. And that's why it's sort of a classic movie that's been around for all this time. Uh, And it's a really important thing to make sure it's in your film, uh, and it's a really great thing to look for in in films that you watch or films that you work on because it makes a difference between a good movie and a bad movie. Mm -hmm. Um, The the moment where the deputy falls out of the helicopter and dies and then Rambo um, uh, comes back out with his hands up yeah. and he's saying, I didn't do it. Like he, like he wants to end this. He understands 
he's at a crossroads and uh whether they fire upon him or any or it does it doesn't matter at this point i mean brian denny has a dead colleague on mm-hmm. his hands and so now it's like that vendetta that he needs that he needs to do and like you said if he doesn't then he has no identity or it's vastly vastly changed um the when i mentioned earlier like how we we begin to understand um what makes rambo who he is now because we don't know what he was when he joined or was drafted yeah perhaps most likely drafted right um but we we do know what he what he is now and as these quick flashbacks of his torture his time in vietnam uh, up until the that final speech at the end you know when all the mayhem is over and you hear about, I mean, he, I mean, can we, we just give credit to St- Sylvester Stallone? I mean, he had this like ten year window of really great performances. Yeah, and then <laughs> before he just decided to be action <laughs> hero, like what a really good actor, man! Like really good. And he and he's in the category where he makes it look too easy. Uh, he's in the Tom Hanks, like someone, everyone can look it up. But I don't think Tom Hanks has been nominated for an Oscar since. I think it's Castaway. I think so, yeah. Like, he didn't even get nominated for Captain Phillips. Uh, he didn't get nominated for Bridge of Spies. I mean, those are absolutely amazing performances, and Tom Hanks simply makes it look too easy. Yeah. And other actors would show the struggle. They'd, sh- they'd sweat more. And, and, he, and he doesn't. And, he, and it's to his, the detriment of his award shelf, right? And Rambo, again, like, people think he's dumb and... And he's got that kind of, yeah. you know, nerve paralysis in his face that gives him the cockeyed smile, and right. and and he plays dumb characters, and um, people underestimate him. Now, half the problem is for every Rambo, there's a Cabretti. <laughs> so, you know, for every um, Rocky, there's a Tango in Cash. Mm-hmm. So, and for every Copland, so he's not exactly. He doesn't have Tony Gwynn's batting average. Yeah, no, uh, unlike, not at all. Unlike comments. But that said, yeah, he's yeah. really underrated. Yeah. And um, you sort of have to ha- be brave to defend him in conversations because it's not super trendy uh, compared to talking about, you know, how brilliant Christoph Waltz is, even though right, he plays right. the same character over and over again, too. Right. Um, b- but he has a, you know, he gets away with the murder and the mayhem in this movie because you're with him. And even though he is this super trained special forces guy, you're with him for these moments. You're with him when he gets beaten by the sheriff. You're with him when he gets hosed down. All these scenes are from his point of view. This might not, you know, the writing can reflect this, but we're on him. We're over his shoulder looking at his face mm-hmm. when they're talking about beating him and abu- and then when they do it. Um, we're with his point of view when he's having the flashbacks to Vietnam, which back then was not as much of a cliche as it obviously is now. So we're with him when all this stuff happens so we can excuse it and stay with it when he starts sharpening spears in the jungle to hunt down people like it's uh, uh, the most dangerous game. So staying with his point of view, uh, being sympathetic to Sylvester Stallone, the face, and also the performance and Rambo, the character, is really important. Otherwise, this movie is just about a psycho in the woods Mm -hmm. killing people, and it turns into a bad B-movie. But because we're with the character, because we like him, same thing with John McClane, same thing with John Wick, we're with him when he was normal. We're with him when, he, when, when the wife was dying. We understand he's sympathetic. We're with him with, when he has the dog, and the dog brings him back to life. So when you kill the dog, we can then excuse the following 80 minutes of the most unrealistic mayhem ever put to film, right. but we're with it, and we like it, and we enjoy it because we understand what John Wick went through, and we've given him the green light. And that's the most important thing. It's not the action that happens. It's 
the emotion that justifies the action. Mm -hmm. And that's what Stallone is great at. And, uh, and also in the context of the time, so this movie comes out in 1982. I know this was a book that was written in the 70s, shortly after Vietnam yeah. or, or, or during the tale. During, yeah. And uh, it was shopped around. I mean, this was something that was like trying to get made for years and years and years with big other big, huge names attached to it that you wouldn't imagine as Rambo. Um, uh, and then and then this film comes out and in the way it opens, it, it hearkened to like the deer hunter, you know, the hunting, you know, the, the woods of, of the deer hunter and, and the and the the flashbacks of Vietnam and um, how much do you think that this film drew upon the, you know, the context of the time and the, you know, I think, I think in the eighties, the country had just started to realize that they were, you know, that, the, that it was a bad thing to be spitting upon mm -hmm. Vietnam soldiers. So that, you know, the, the attitude was shifting towards Vietnam veterans and, like, how does this film fit in there? You also read the book, like you said. Well, the book's a downer, too, in the book. Yeah. I think Rambo's a little crazier. He gets killed. I think Troutman mm. kills him. It's a super downer. Um, I think that it's an interesting lesson in the sense of there's a lot of cool historical context in here because it's a film made in the 80s about the 60s and 70s, and we're now in the 2010s. So you've got a there's a lot of layers here. Uh, yeah, you're right. I, I remember really clearly with Desert Storm, mm. there was this huge public awareness of like, we cannot treat the troops like that's right. I the last that. time. And it was it, this really positive course correction. Yellow ribbons were around all these trees. I mean, that war was the most lopsided war probably in history, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, if, if a war didn't need that much support. And it got it. it. And, yeah, and, it and then I believe we've stayed that way too right. right and which is a good thing that, that, that the era of spitting on vets at airports is gone forever and so it's difficult for uh, anyone younger than us you know we're in our early 20s um, <laughs> but, uh, to understand that there was an era where that happened yeah. and and it's even now it's a strange thing with the um, Denny makes a comment about you're wearing that flag and that hair and it's almost like you assume Dennehy thinks that he's a, a protester or a counterculture hippie because mm -hmm. he's got, quote unquote, long hair. It's, mm -hmm. He's got a mullet. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that the flag is to be taken ironically, like a hipster would wear mm -hmm. an ironic you know, flag shirt today. And so that's even a strange thing to wrap our mind around because however judgmental and stereotypical people are in our society today, long hairs is not part of that vocabulary right like we don't you know plenty of millionaire executives have long hair and plenty of you know revolutionaries have close cropped hair so that's there's all these layers of historical context which is to say though it's interesting to talk about you got to make sure that the message of your movie is not uh politically based or plot based or of that time mm -hmm. because as the decades pass your movie will be sort of forgotten about mm -hmm. because it'll no longer be relevant this movie is such a, a battle of the wills between uh, Rambo and, and Dennehy. It's also such a great emotional story about this, how this guy breaks emotionally, turns in this killing machine, and then has to come back and have this moment of humanity at the end. So there's a whole emotional level that's sort of universal and that will always be important as long as there's wars, as long as there's people who've been forgotten about, as long as people are, have friends die. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. there's all these great yeah. human universal moments that it, it makes sure the movie never becomes uh, irrelevant. At, the one interesting thing is this has a really 70s ending, which is a, kind of a downer, which is he's arrested. Right. He goes to jail. Right. And there is no, there's no 80s happy ending. He's not excused at the last, he's not given a whatever. He, uh, the bad version of this is he and 
uh, Brian Dennehy have to team up because there's someone else in town who's worse. Yeah. yeah or yeah. there's an earthquake or a fire, and he and Dennehy's daughter is stuck at the house and surrounded by flames, and so the only one who can help him is Rambo. And that was what happened now. This has a real, you know, like you said, Deer Hunters, a, a very um, thoughtful ending, which is great because yeah. it, it makes sure it's not a cheesy movie. But um, it does that does market of the time mm-hmm. era, you know. Mm-hmm. So we're lucky this movie came. Yeah, out it was like um, um, Dog Day Afternoon. Similar. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. So what, that's what I. You know, and then that song Dog Day Afternoon would be like Ocean's Eleven if it came out. Right? <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine? Um, there's another. There's another. Uh, whether it's a plot device or whether it's just it's just good storytelling or structure that that I noticed was uh, um, there. There's and you see this a lot in films, but there's a there's a there's a, an extended period of time where they think the you know the police and the authorities think that Rambo's dead, and we as the audience know he's not. Mm-hmm. Like he's going through the mine trying to trying to get out, and uh, that lasts you know for a good portion of, of Act Two. Uh, um, do you notice that as well as as something that's like um, you know with a clever name that, that that we could go along with that where where it's kind of like <sighs> you know the audience has more information than than your characters. At this point, and uh, uh, you know that's we're not here to. Um, I'm not here to talk about how this movie is the greatest ever made. Yeah, <laughs> because and so this is a this is a point where this movie really sags in the middle, and it gets repetitive. Him hunting and him being hunted, and the rats, and you know building the tour. You know, it's just sort of biding its time. Yeah, and it's that's. That's why I do not watch this movie over and over again with a grin and popcorn, and I will I will watch Die Hard over and over again. That said, um, there's a great concept uh, about open secrets or closed secrets, mm-hmm. and it's, it's basically is the audience aware of the secret or are they not aware of the secret? Are you basically trying to trick them? And I'm obviously it's been done successfully both ways, but I'm always of the opinion that the open secret is much more effective than the closed secret. It's you know. The old argument of do you want the explosion or do you want to know do you want to know the bombs in the trunk or do you not want to know and it's the touch of evil you know the one shot where the, fir- the it opens and the guy puts the bomb in the trunk and then the woman gets in the car and she's unaware and you're waiting 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 for mm-hmm. the bomb to go off I think that's much better than just the shock scare and it's generally because either you cheat the audience and they resent being cheated and lied to. Or even worse, the audience is ahead of you and they're aware of the secret and they know you as a filmmaker or you as a writer didn't trust them or were condescending enough to think you could get away with it. So when the audience and audiences are much smarter than filmmakers because they've seen all these films and filmmakers think that their stuff is the best and for many reasons, you can very rarely trick an audience. So trying to keep a secret from them is bad news all around unless you have to unless it's really important. You know, Shyamalan does a lot of it, but in reality, his open secret, or his close secrets are hinted at. Uh, there's foreshadowing, and when you rewatch them, you can have fun seeing how the secret was in plain sight, whether it's how Bruce Willis never interacts with anyone in The Sixth Sense, um, and, and his, the, his, the better of his movies is, are very well constructed to, to, to sort of have open secrets disguised as close secrets. So this is all to say, if the movie decided to pretend Rambo was actually dead for a 20-minute chunk, that would have been a big mistake. We wouldn't have bought it. Mm-hmm. We would have seen it coming ahead of time, and we would have checked out. So I guess that's one good thing to think about when you're deciding what information to withhold from the audience and why. 
it's much more fun to have them in on the joke mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to fool them. Yeah, and I and I and, and then it's also how long do you mm-hmm. do you play that out? And like you said, it drags. You know, for, for, you know, it's only an hour and a half movie, but to have that chunk of time dragging uh, and thinking about well, what what could they have gone? Could could they have built a bigger plot? And then we just wouldn't have been crazy land. Uh, but referencing back to Die Hard, um, I, that open secret moment between McLean and yeah, Clay. Uh, where, where Bill Clay. His, yeah, 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 exactly. That's he's got his hand exactly. Up, you, you, and then you see the gun, you're like, oh, this is going to be... If, if you had not... If, they, if, if they'd been cute and, and not shown you Hans Gruber's face for the entire movie, and then this guy shows up, yeah. and he's got this American accent, you, of course, would have known who it was. Right, right. There, and you, it would have spoiled the film, and you'd be rolling your eyes in that scene, mm-hmm. and you'd also be blaming John McClane for being dumb and not figuring out. You know, you resent yeah, the you main character. Yeah, you figured it out. How come he could... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it, it sabotages everything. But yeah. the fact that it's an open secret is so... You, you know, your jaw drops, your eyes go wide. You're like, no, don't don't give him the gun. And, and of course, it's a closed secret wrapped in an open secret. Which right, is, right. <laughs> he gives him a gun, but it's it's not loaded. Yeah. And it's perfectly justifiable. It's like, I'm not going to give a stranger a loaded gun. You right. know, like... Right. Uh, that is an, an excellent example of how... And I... You know, that's one of the best scenes in the movie because you can really discuss... How did Hans know there was a guy named Bill Clay? Did he look up all the names ahead of time? Did he get lucky? Did he flash up to see it? How did Bruce Willis know that there was a guy named Bill Clay? Like, and maybe he didn't. Maybe he was just bluffing. Maybe mm-hmm. he, it wasn't important what name Hans Gruber said. It was how he said the name. Uh, you know, if, if John detected he was lying by mm-hmm. his body language or his hesitating. And so you can go back and forth and back and forth. And that's the beauty of having a well-crafted open secret like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, great. Well, this has been really, really fun. The last, uh, if we have time. Yeah, well, no, I, please. Yeah, I was going to ask you if there's... The reason this movie has any emotional arc or, or twitch with me is the last scene when he breaks down. Yeah. And he's sort of, um, he's taken the town hostage. He's blown everything up. We know he's going to jail for 100 years. And um, Troutman comes in and says, it's over, it's over. And he spazzes out and, and he goes, uh, it's not over till I say it's over. And I wrote the line down. Uh, and Rambo breaks down. And he actually, uh, in, while he's freaking out, he explains in almost one sentence what the movie's about. He says, back there, meaning Vietnam, back there I could fly a gunship. Mm-hmm. I could drive a tank. I was in charge of million-dollar equipment. Back here, I can't even hold a job parking cars. Yeah. And he says, I can't even hold a job parking cars, not I can't get a job parking cars. And, and he's, again, specific to the soldiers in Vietnam, it, it speaks to, but it also speaks to anyone where... You know, you were the most popular guy in your hometown and you come out to a big city and, and you find it tough. Or a- any time someone faces this emotional roadblock where the world kind of slams the door in your face is a miniature version. Rambo just takes it to this gigantic, overly melodramatic, mm-hmm. action-packed uh, end. But it's a really emotional moment. And, and y- then he starts crying. Then he breaks down starts crying, talks about his friend, had his legs blown off and... and um, he, he, he finishes it up when he says, uh, sometimes I wake up and I don't even know where I am. I don't talk to anybody. And then mm-hmm. he starts weeping in Troutman's lap. And you buy it. The movie's earned it because oh, 100%. it spent 80 minutes, 85 minutes building up Rambo as this guy who's coming apart, this perfectly built killing machine, just rattling itself like, like those YouTube videos where they throw a cinder block in a, in a dryer. And it's earned. And, and it's not overly wrought. It's not cheesy. It's not Oscar bait. A lot of movies throw these scenes in when they're not earned, either in the beginning or you're not with the characters and you don't buy it. But this movie, 
the last you know lesson I've learned from this movie, and I, I try to work on, is it just winds the spring, winds the spring, mm-hmm. winds the spring, and you're waiting for Rambo to to burst, and it's not him blowing up the buildings and him. That's just normal Rambo. When mm-hmm. he blows up the town, that's not his you know uh, uh, epiphany, emotional epiphany. It's actually weeping in the arms of the only remaining family member he has, Troutman, who's almost family. He's not actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the movie, that's the payoff. That's the one thing that makes this movie kind of special and enough to talk about now. Yeah, it is the payoff. And I can only imagine uh, another scenario where you open with that. They're like, oh, that's such a, like, that's his history. We need to open it. We need to see that. We need to flash back to that earlier so we can justify everything that's about to happen. But when you, you've rightly identified it, like, that's, that's, that needs to be earned for the audience yeah, to care earned. about that. And the fact that uh, it happens at the very end of the film uh, just completely wraps up in a nice destructive bow of what the film is about. That um, is the happy ending, if right, you want. I mean, that's right. how you can lock Rambo up. At least he's Rambo's better off in jail with yeah. this catharsis than drifting yeah. around and shooting up the next And year. it allows you as the audience member to go, oh, okay, well... At least there was an excuse for this madness, to the extent that there can be an, there can be an excuse. You you can kind of say, I mean, it's hard to justify all of the things that he does, but he, you know, it's like, you know, you just go back to like just you go back to the opening where you're, you, I mean, you think back to the opening. All he had to do was just keep walking and say, you know what, fuck that town, I'll go somewhere else. But he doesn't. He has to turn. Around. He just has to turn around and go back to that town. I don't know why. I'm trying to figure out why he, he wanted to, but like we said earlier, it's... And it's why we watch movies, movies, because everyone in their life does that. Everyone in their life... Yeah, they, I've done it. Either for better or for worse, you take a stand and you, you... And you wish that it, all you had to do was blow up a bunch of buildings and shoot at a bunch of cops. <laughs> yeah, that would be the <laughs> easy way fun. out, right? Yeah. But you can't do that, so right. you pay 10 bucks and you go see Rambo do it. Right, And right. it's... That's your... Yeah. You know, and then you wait around six years for the horrible sequel and... Yeah, now, yeah, let's talk about that real quick, because those sequels were... I mean. The, they were pretty much about like, oh, Rambo's in jail. We need his expertise to go fight the Afghanis, right? Or the well, Russians the or something, two, right? Part two was famously written by James Cameron. That's right. That's right. But I don't think they used, I think they undid everything Cameron mm. did. Mm. And I think like he, he used that to get the aliens job or something. Mm. Uh, like Rambo 2 is more important for, in historically for what it did for James Cameron than what it did for Rambo. Right, right. And Rambo 2 is about refighting the Vietnamese war. Except this time we go in with just Rambo, and that's that's what we did wrong the first time, right, apparently. Right. And it's horrible, <laughs> and um, it's all steroids, and it's you know this movie's so cool because it takes his knife and it just mythologizes oh, his yeah, knife. The knife man. And it's a setup and a payoff. You know yeah. when he shows the knife, the guy, the sheriff cuts the paper with it, mm-hmm. and then the payoff is is this magical knife that allows Rambo to do all these things. And the sequel, he suddenly has bow and arrows, and he has uh, the third movie is Afghanistan, and I think it. Oh, that was hilariously came out after the Soviets withdrew. Uh-huh. So, like, they made the movie, and the Soviets withdrew from Afghanistan, and then that summer, this movie comes out, <laughs> totally out of date. Uh, and I don't think I've actually, I've actually seen it. And then the, the Rambo 4 is the one a few years ago where it's yeah, just, like, the yeah. goriest movie ever. Yeah, it was film. just all about gore. Yeah, And, and yeah. they're just falling off a cliff. And, and it's uh, worth, to wrap things up, it's worth going back and looking at Rambo because... This movie and the characters' intentions have been diminished by the horrible sequels that came afterwards. Mm-hmm. Whereas Die Hard and John McClane, which again I do not feel is underrated or uh, overrated, overrated potentially yeah. underrated, um, is an amazing movie that has not suffered any wear and tear 
by its progressively less effective sequels. And people don't think of John McClane in the latter Die Hards when you say it. They think of, they, they go right to Die Hard 1. And they think, oh, Bruce Willis in 1988. Whereas when you say Rambo now, people go to the joke, to the cartoon character. Mm-hmm. And almost nobody thinks of John Rambo in the movie First Blood. That's a shame. I'm not here to be an a defender of the movie on that, those terms, but it's also a shame because it's a great movie to watch because it's very simple, very effective, very good to borrow from, very good to sort of analyze for beginners and for a- anyone really. And, and it's a it's a really overlooked kind of classic template. It's yeah, you, you you said something, and I think I don't think we had started recording yet about uh, you don't want to learn to drive stick on a yeah, Porsche. it's, it's uh, Rambo learning screenwriting techniques and all that stuff from First Blood is like learning to drive stick on a Honda Civic. Perfect. Simple, easy, I'm not going to ruin anything. It'll work. It'll build my confidence. I'll get to see my results right away. Uh, And it's very accessible to anyone. You don't want to learn stick on a 911. You don't want to try to learn screenwriting or practice screenwriting by analyzing, you know, an extremely complex Tarantino movie or a Shyamalan movie. Or you know one of the you know even Chinatown like the, the Chinatown oh, is a nine eleven right I mean every time I watch that in film it's something new pops out I, so I thought I, about no way I can study that film un, Unforgiven Amadeus I thought yeah. about like th- that would be like discussing I don't want to discuss a nine eleven I'm not a good enough mechanic to discuss nine elevens but I can talk about Hondas yeah. and and it's at that level so it's very accessible and it doesn't get highfalutin it doesn't get film theory esque it's a very practical mm-hmm. you know movie to talk about mm-hmm. and it, and you know Die Hard Die Hard's I wouldn't say I wouldn't I, ironically called Die Hard a German car uh, <laughs> because <laughs> because of Hans Gruber so Die right, Hard right. Die Hard is like a really you know well-tuned American classic yeah. 80s muscle car. Yeah. Uh, but even that's too complex. This is just a Honda Civic, and it's, it's fun to talk about that yeah. way. Great, great. Well, I have one last question, um, or actually two last questions. I mean, are, like, uh, in your world, in the things that you're involved with and developing and, and working on, um, and, and maybe it's more so diehard or anything, but, but just because of the genres that, that you work in, like, are there things now that you're working on that you kind of the things that stick in your mind about whenever you're approaching a new project and if there's anything going on now that uh, I'm working on a project now that I've um, been helping develop and produce for years and years and years called Go Like Hell and if you Google it you can see that it's based off a book that's based off the story of Carol Shelby um, and building the GT40 for Ford and beating Ferrari it's sort of like the right stuff. Um, but with Italians instead of Russians hmm. and, and the, the car race instead of the space race. And you do want to go back to these really simple archetypes when you're building your character. And, of course, he becomes sophisticated and he becomes complex as you build things. But you just want to have a genesis of what is the very simple classical goal of this guy? Wh- where is he starting from and where is he going to end up? And so we talked about Rambo was broken by Vietnam and he has to work his way through it. John McClane has this marriage that he needs to shoot his way through. Um, you know, these characters that are very famous and larger than life, you've got to find the, the root emotional drive, whether it's Henry Ford or Enzo Ferrari or Carol Shelby. And so it is always good to go back to basics because if you're working on a historical film, uh, it's going to be overwhelming with all the details and all the anecdotes and all the video footage. And, and, and you can make a character a caricature accidentally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you really want to go back to the, the, the core basics of who's this guy? What was he going for? What was his 
his, his one problem that he could never overcome. And that, that's why it is useful to kind of go back in your head to basics. John Rambo's simple and clean. If you're going to race a car, you might as well warm up on a, on a Honda Civic uh, before you jump in your really complicated car. So. Yeah, great. Well, that fits perfectly with the theme of our show. So thanks for thanks again. Uh, talking about Rambo and Die Hard, and it's not even lunchtime. Like, this is <laughs> awesome. Uh, so the final, uh, final, final question here, and, and I hope you read this in my email, was if our civilization ended today by some random act of God and extraterrestrials discovered our remains a thousand years from now, what's one film or television series that you'd want them to find? And if it's Die Hard, that's totally. <laughs> <laughs> I would, you know, I thought about this. There's no right answer, but a fun answer is because you said boxed set would be the the James Bond box set. Okay. Um, because current it's, all, all the way up to now. Yeah, although yeah, you could not? skip Spectre if you okay. felt like it. <laughs> um, it's spanning fifty years now, um, and it's a pretty good encapsulation of of Western culture and society, and it it never gets serious, but of course it deals with the arms race and it deals with communism and it deals with terrorism and it deals with Economics and it showcases the world because you get to see the Bahamas and the Russia and uh, you know uh, all these gorgeous locales and and you could see see how society has progressed in in the in the initial James Bond movies he he slaps a woman anytime he gets a chance to which is perfectly acceptable behavior back then and our modern James Bond movies he's you know we his boss is a female and you know rights have progressed to the the fact that Halle Berry can be just as terrible in a James Bond movie as uh, Pierce Brosnan. So mm -hmm. the, 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 it's the same, right? It's the James Bond, the, thing, the reason people love James Bond is he's, you get, it's going to McDonald's, right? You get exactly what you're looking for. And yet, at the same time, things are incrementally changing in a way that Roger Moore looks and acts completely differently than Daniel Craig. Mm -hmm. uh, and Timothy Dalton's character is much, much different than Pierce Brosnan's take on it. And all of the gadgets and all of the fashions and how everyone acts and behaves. And it's, 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 it's a fun, it would, it would sum up what we were up to the last 50 years of Earth before the aliens blew us up. Awesome. That's great. That's a great choice. And I recently just watched uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service for the first time. That's a weird one. you got to watch it a couple times to get... I loved it. It's such a weird... <laughs> I mean... you got to get over the fact that it's like Bond who, who you've never seen before. But uh, what's her name? Diana Rigg? And it's all psychedelic. And yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. Diana Rigg is the greatest part about that movie. She, yeah, yeah, she was fantastic. Uh, well, once again, thanks, Greg, for joining me. And if you guys enjoyed this podcast, please follow and subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. And be sure to connect on Twitter at TRV Podcast and the TR, uh, rearviewpodcast.com. I'm Matt Edwards. And if you're driving forward on your film, always be sure to check the rear view.